You can do all the kind of Zoom virtual events you want or send people swag and gifts and gimmicky stuff. But those are sort of quick fixes. They're not what long-term keep people there. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Harry Levitt. Today, I'm super excited to talk to Julia Stead on building a brand in a highly competitive marketplace. So to just do a quick introduction for Julia, Julia is the Chief Marketing Officer at 15.5. And as CMO at 15.5, Julia helps create transformational change in the world of people management delivering tools and education to HR leaders, managers, and employees that unlock every individual's peak performance. She brings over 15 years of B2B marketing experience, driving market leadership and revenue at high-growth SaaS companies. Julia, I'm really excited to talk to you, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Harry. Excited to chat with you as well, and really happy to be here today. Great. And today is an extra exciting day as 15.5 just had a big funding announcement. So first of all, congrats on that. And we'd love to hear uh, just a couple words from you around that uh, exciting news. Thanks. Yeah, it's definitely a big day. We announced our Series C fundraise. And it's, it's just been a wonderful journey of, I would say, recognition of the momentum that's building in the, in the HR space, um, that's building for 15.5 of that just the way we work has fundamentally changed, right? And the ways of measuring performance and keeping employees engaged has changed so dramatically over the past few years. It's been building for a while, but really changed dramatically over the past few years. And so HR leaders and their teams and managers need new solutions to really help measure the performance of their their distributed workforce and keep them engaged and feel like they're really thriving at work. So today was just kind of a nice a nice milestone along that journey for us to um, double down on this investment and, and keep bringing these positive solutions to the world of HR and management. Yeah, absolutely. Incredibly exciting, both for you as a company, and as you mentioned, just great confirmation of the space that you're in, as you mentioned, you know, especially in the last few years, the way that we work, the way companies are engaging with employees is so different and companies have to stay ahead of that. Um, and you're really at the forefront of that. So incredibly exciting, great confirmation that you're doing incredible things. Oh, thank you. And as a marketer, it's just always fun to have great news to celebrate. So it's a fun day. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. We will take any reason to celebrate for sure. (laughs) Awesome. Well, really excited to talk to you today about brand building. So we can jump into the questions. Um, And the first one that I want to get into is, you know, if you were a leader, and I mean, you are a leader today, so I'm sure you're thinking about this all the time. But you had advice for our uh, listeners that are leaders at their companies and you were tasked with building your brand, what would your investment strategy look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. I'll start with a caveat of it depends a lot on your market and your circumstance, what you what you've got to work with, I guess, as a starting point, and then who you who your audience is. And what I really mean by that is you can be very successful at building a brand in a large sort of mainstream market offering or in more of a niche niche market where you have a more tightly concentrated audience. I've had the the experience and 
I don't know if joy is the right word, but but fun and, and journey of doing both those situations. Right now at 15.5, it's more of the, the former where we don't serve one particular niche industry or audience. We really serve a broad broad market, basically HR period, right? Um, which can span geographies, it can span industries, it can span size of companies. Uh, and it comes, and so that comes with some some pros and some advantages of we have a really large market and audience to to capture. But then it also comes with the challenges of it can be a very crowded and noisy market. And so if you're in this type of situation, you're thinking about your brand investment strategy, I'd say it's important is, is sort of the starting part, right? You really do need to invest a lot in brand. Typically, I'd say kind of equally with demand gen, equal, equally weight the two. If you are in a crowded, noisy, broad market, you really need to make that brand investment to stand out and power your future growth. My head of corporate marketing likes to say the the role of brand is to capture hearts and minds. And I, I, I love that expression. I think it's so true. And so as we think about how do you do that from an investment standpoint, it's understanding where is there the highest concentration of your audience, even if it's a broad audience? So what are the big industry events? What are the geographical hubs, if you will, whether it's cities, regions, where your audience is found, and then investing in the right brand channels, which for me is out of home. So a combination of billboards, digital signage in the locations where you've got the highest concentration of folks, as well as what's the right term for it? I think of it as audio air cover, I guess. So radio, podcast, that type of advertising. And of course, weaving a consistent story and brand campaign um, narrative throughout those different channels. So they all build upon each other and create that, that emotional resonance and brand recognition with your audience. That's, that's kind of how I think about it. And then thinking about investments on on a cyclical basis. So you go sort of through quarters where you're building your next new story or next new campaign. And then the following quarters, when you really roll it out across all those channels, ideally you've got something always running and you've got this sort of production cycle where simultaneously every quarter, you've got something out there live that feels fresh while you're um, simultaneously building whatever that next campaign or next story is while still having a really consistent emotional feel and tone to whatever your campaigns are. Um, so I think at a high level, that's how I think about my, my brand investment strategy. I like partnering out of home and big splashy brand investments with whatever your pillar industry events are as well. It's wonderful that events are, are back in person because it's a great investment opportunity for, for brand marketing, right? It was, it was hard to recreate those big visual experiences digitally only. Um, so connecting out of home media buys and large in-person um, brand sponsorships with your pillar industry events, I think is a great, pretty, pretty classic, but um, consistent performer. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, I love that. Um, and I love that line from your head of corporate marketing around capturing hearts and minds, I think you said. Yeah, um, exactly. Your brand has done that. And if your marketing team has done that, I think you can certainly say you've done an amazing job. And I have noticed that 15.5 always has a great presence at industry events. I see you posting on LinkedIn and other social channels all the time as well. Interesting to hear about those other out-of-home channels that you mentioned. It's not something that I typically think a lot about, and maybe that's just because of you know the world that I'm living in. Um, but things like 
podcasts, radios, billboards. Again, not something that comes top of mind for me, but you know, that can be a really effective way, I'm sure, as you put it, to put that kind of big, splashy, loud message out there about your brand that can be hard to do digitally. Um, so I love those ideas. And just getting a little bit more tactical, are there any more kind of programs that come top of mind for you when you're thinking about the best ways to build your brand? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I really believe in the power of interconnected channels. So not just doing one-off sort of random acts of, of strong brand marketing or brand storytelling, but having a consistent story that you're telling across multiple channels at the same time to create that, that memory and lasting impression with your audience, right? I, I'm going to, I forget the exact stat of how many impressions you need to see or how many times you need to hear a message or see an ad before you actually remember it and recall the brand. But I think it's over a dozen. And, yeah. and that really always sticks out with me, right? But if I think about it from a tactical level, it's really the combination of running catchy, simple digital ads. Um, and whether you're doing it at an account-based level for a very targeted audience, which, which we certainly do for certain campaigns, or you're doing it broadly retargeting your web traffic or just broadly targeting I was going to say a very, a very broad audience. I think all of those tactics have a time and a place, but combining the right message in your digital advertising with, if possible, some sort of large event presence. Um, so not just thinking about having a trade show booth, which often I think can be thought of as a demand gen investment, but I really see it as a brand investment as well and layering on the supporting visual brand representation at whatever your industry's big trade show is, combining that with the digital advertising and then um, I'm really, really liking the audio air cover options that are so prevalent nowadays of picking the right podcasts that your audience loves and listens to on a regular basis, having some branding and advertising there. And then if your market is large enough that you understand your, your geo region, um, your concentrated geographical regions, doing some targeted um, radio uh, advertising as well within those specific reason, uh, regions, excuse me, those are the tactics that I like to, to bring together. I think another, the last one that comes to mind, and this is size and stage of your company dependent, I would say, but hosting your own event, um, whether it's billed as a user conference, a customer conference, an industry conference, is another really great way to establish your brand in your market and sort of put your stake in the, the ground for who you are, what value you deliver, not just to your customers, but to sort of your broader industry audience and create really meaningful experiences for your, um, for your audience. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely agreed on that. Um, and I love a couple, a couple common themes that I feel like I'm hearing kind of across everything that you're saying when it comes to these effective brand building programs, it's telling a consistent story, but telling a story about your brand across all of the channels that you're running these programs on. Like you mentioned, you know, a minute ago, not just doing these kind of one-off messaging um, campaigns, but really being consistent and telling your brand story across all of these different channels. And then I think the other kind of theme here is creating meaningful experiences for your prospects and for your customers. I think you mentioned that a few times. And 
you know, at the end of the day, that's what people are going to remember. And that's what's going to resonate. They're going to remember the experience that's associated with your brand and that story, rather than just the one off message. So I think you're absolutely spot on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't emphasize enough the importance of the storytelling piece. And this is something I think I've only really started to appreciate the last few years of my career. I wish I'd appreciated it earlier on, I would say, but especially in B2B marketing, so often companies lead lead their marketing with their product value proposition and product features and product, product, product. And they and that can be boring or just generic or it just it doesn't create that emotional pull for your buyer, right? But if you can really tap into what are what is their world, what are the what are they living and breathing and create a higher level story that really really connects with them and feels like you get them, even if it's not pushing your product or pushing your your concisely worded perfect value proposition, I think that really goes a long way to to capturing the hearts and minds, right? It's almost like what do you as a brand stand for? And what mm-hmm. ultimately is that journey or wonderful emotional place that you want to get your buyers to and your customers to and tap into that story as your your overarching brand narrative and invest in telling that story because again it goes back to hearts and minds and then the product and value propositions can follow afterwards Hmm. yep yep Absolutely. Um, definitely agreed on that stance. And I mean, I know it's something that we think about at demand base as well all the time. It's, you know, telling that story. It's not pushing products. It's not pushing value props. It's pushing that story, as you mentioned, capturing those hearts and minds, and then the business will follow. Um, so certainly on the same page with you there. And yeah. yeah. Can I share thinking. one more thing yeah, that's probably please. helpful that I learned too, mm-hmm. is it's, expensive to work with an agency on that, but I found it's always worth it. Mm -hmm. Often teams really try and figure that stuff out internally. And you can have wonderful creative thinkers on your marketing team or, or across your organization and try really hard to come up with that story. But there's really an art and a craft to it that agencies are so successful at and they exist for a reason and, and they are expensive, but it's definitely an investment that I've started making consistently. And it mm-hmm. really pays off in the quality and elevation, I think, of the story. So as a marketing yeah. leader, if you haven't done it before and sort of look at the costs and are debating, is it worth it? I would I would heartily recommend if you're able to try it out, ask around word of mouth recommendations for good agencies, but but make the investment. It's, it's almost always worth it. Interesting. Yeah, no, really appreciate that perspective, I'm sure. That's something that, you know, leaders such as yourself and our listeners are probably thinking about all the time and kind of weighing the pros and cons. So getting your perspective on that is really helpful. And I would also think probably to some extent, it just helps to get the outside eyes on it. Absolutely. Um, Like uh, what's the saying? You know, sometimes it can be hard to see the forest in the trees or something like that, where, you know, if it's you're living your product and your company every day. Um, it can be hard to kind of take that step back and look at it from an outsider's perspective and think about, you know, what's going to resonate with somebody who may not know us or know anything about us. And what's that kind of story that we can tell to capture those hearts and minds? I'm sure getting that, you know, outside perspective on it can be incredibly helpful. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. Great. 
Uh, well, shifting gears a little bit, um, and I think it was a good segue to talking about, you know, investments that are worth it in terms of agencies, but thinking about, you know, other investments and just your spend in general would be curious to hear your thoughts on how you and how leaders in general can effectively manage your marketing spend when you're in growth mode, but also, you know, kind of coupled with that, um, you know, potentially throttling when needed, especially, you know, at times like this, when we're in economic downturn. So we'd be here curious to hear kind of both perspectives, you know, managing when you're in growth mode, but also thinking about it from the other side when you may have to, you know, cut back due to other conditions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it starts with having a really close relationship and um, honesty and vulnerability and transparency, all those good words with your head of finance and your head of sales. Those are the two that I see it happening most often with and sometimes other leaders in the business as well. But so that everyone's really on the same page of how fast do we want to grow? How comfortable are we taking some risks with our investments to basically make the investment now that's not going to pay off for another three, six, nine months. And where are we at as a business right now? What what external pressures or opportunities do we have? And is now really the time to take a little bit of a risk and hit the gas pedal? And I don't want to say over-invest in marketing, but make those big leaps forward in your marketing investment that aren't going to pay off next week, but they will pay off six months from now. Or or is, is now the time in your business where you just don't want to be pushing that aggressively for growth. You're focused on other things, uh, whether it's profitability or slower, steadier growth through a certain period or timing your next phase of growth with product innovation, whatever it is, right? Making sure that your marketing strategy and your personal mindset as a leader is on exactly the same wavelength as your, your peers. I think that's really ultimately what sets you up for success and then helps you as a marketing leader to to make those decisions and not have it feel like it's you against other folks sort of fighting for money, but you as part of a team understanding, yes, now is our time to go, 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 ramp up our marketing investment, push for those big growth numbers, or no, now isn't that time and that's okay because I'm, I'm one of the people that helped make the, that decision and I'm going to align my spend accordingly with that. So that's kind of where it starts. Um, when you are in growth mode, it's, it's fun because you get to spend a lot usually. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and it really is, I think, a, a balance of demand gen in corporate and somewhere in the like 50-50 or like 60% demand gen, 40% growth. But because you have to feed your, your sales engine, whether it's sales led or product led, but you need to feed that engine day to day to basically validate that you're growing fast enough to warrant such an investment, right? So that's where I think the demand gen piece comes in and is really important. But then the brand spend is equally important because that's what's setting you up for your future success and making all of your demand gen efforts a little bit easier because there's more name brand recognition. There's more inbound coming into you naturally because of your, your brand awareness in the marketplace. And so that's where you're really placing a lot of your bets as well for next quarter and next, next quarter's growth. When you're having to buckle down a little bit and not be as aggressive about your growth, that's where I think brand spend can be scaled back a little bit. Not entirely. I would never advocate for totally scaling back brand spend, but you basically need your, your demand gen and your pipeline, again, whether it's sales-led or, or, or product-led, but you need that, that revenue engine humming at full capacity 
to keep keep the lights on and keep everyone fed is kind of how I think about it. And so then I would wait, spend probably more 70 to 80% demand gen, 20 to 30% brand where you're absolutely keeping the lights on in the brand world and continuing those foundational investments on the brand side, but you're not making any big, bold bets because it's just not the time for your business right then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I think the biggest takeaway, or at least the first takeaway that myself and our listeners should get from that is become best friends with your head of finance because can't go wrong doing that. Um, But I love the team approach that you mentioned. So it's not just you on an island kind of making these decisions. It's a true team thought process and company thought process. And you're all on the same page of when should we be scaling up, when we should be scaling back. Um, and it's a really, you know, thoughtful decision around that with different, you know, perspectives from each side of the business would be curious to hear your thoughts though, how much of that, you know, the decision whether to scale up or to scale back a bit is kind of dependent on where you are as a company, but then also taking into account, you know, like the economic conditions and things like that. Cause I imagine it's kind of challenging to strike that balance when you're in growth mode, but there's an economic downturn or, you know, maybe vice versa. Um, so would be curious to hear, you know, your thoughts around that. Yeah. That's where I think an important function of a marketing leader kicks in that maybe doesn't mm-hmm. get exercised as much as some of the other muscles, which is market research. I think the role of a marketing leader in partnership with others, but but ultimately their responsibility is to really triangulate those factors you talked about. So understanding how your business is doing, looking at, you know, are your are your inbound interest rates slowing? That sounded like a banking term. I mean, like your you know, interest in your company, is that is it slowing down yeah. or is demand for inbound demand for your products and services remaining at a steady clip? How is your pipeline looking, right? Are deals slowing down or our deal cycles lengthening, which are usually signs that your market's tightening up a little bit and you're going to have a little bit of a slower period of growth. So triangulating on those those data points and then matching that with what you're hearing from your customers and seeing in the market. And here I like to look at what analysts are saying, what they're predicting about growth rates for your market budget and tech spend, because um, I'm in tech, right, um, for for your market. And then also keeping a pulse on on customer sentiment as well. And are your retention rates high? Are you getting budget pressure from your customers when they're coming up for renewal saying, hey, they're having to make cuts? So pulling together those data points and presenting back a pretty informed opinion to your leadership team on what you think the market is doing and how you as a business should react. Because sometimes some of those factors can be at play on, from a negative perspective and others from a positive perspective and can help you decide, well, you know, economically the market's going through a downturn, but we're not seeing that play out in our customer base. And actually our product is more mission critical than ever. So if we don't take a little bit of a risk and invest more right now, we're going to miss out on this opportunity. It's not easy and it can be a bit scary sometimes to put a, put a stake in the ground and make a recommendation. But I think that's part of the role of marketing leadership. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sure. That's really interesting perspective. And you're right. I feel like that's not the traditional responsibilities that somebody thinks about when they think of, you know, what is the CMO doing during their day to day? But 
that is incredibly important to do that market research and to, as you mentioned, kind of triangulate where you are between, you know, your company, your growth, economic conditions, where your customers, where your customers are, et cetera. Um, so that's, yeah, certainly a really important muscle to flex and an important um, strategy to get right. Um, it's so really definitely appreciated. Yeah. If, if when yeah. you do it, it's definitely, you know, everyone's always looking for the answers. So if, if you can put some time and effort into it, it's definitely appreciated. And it just got me thinking this question and the previous one too, on how important it is to suss some of this stuff out when you're interviewing. I know there's a lot of movement um, in jobs right now. A lot of people are, are seeking new opportunities. There's a lot of interview going on. And um, having those frank discussions with whoever you're going to be reporting into to understand how is marketing investment considered at this company, right? How do we think of what is this next phase? Am I stepping into a role where I'm going to be expected to be a, a high growth marketing leader or more of a efficient, efficiency focused marketing leader? Or and, and usually these things, there's an element to all of them, right? But being able to just really understand what you're getting yourself into and how those types of decisions are made across finance and the leadership team in sales, I think is important. And then also understanding what's the full scope of the role and is what I just discussed, market research. Um, does it fall under this, this purview? I, I think what I've observed throughout my career tra trajectory is it starts to kick in more when you really get to like an SVP CMO type level of role where your job isn't just running marketing, it's helping run the business, or it's not just growing marketing, it's helping holistically grow the business. And that's where it becomes more of a fully fleshed out, not just marketing leadership role, but market leadership, market leader role. Yeah, that's really interesting. And also really good advice for our job seekers, because you're right. I mean, that might not be something that you think about when you're you know, thinking about joining a company, but at the same time, it could be, you know, a totally different strategy in your role based on what type of mode they're in, whether it is, you know, focused on efficiency, really focused on growth. It's of course going to be a completely different strategy. So definitely really important to think about. And to your point about that being, you know, more of a role around once you get to that CMO level around, you know, guiding the business and not just the marketing org, I feel like companies that do get that kind of market research triangulation correct are the ones that always come out the strongest Absolutely. on the other side of, you know, crazy macro events like we've been seeing over the last couple of years. Yeah. If only it were easy. It's, it's hard. It's quite hard. Probably one of the hardest aspects of the role, but, but so important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, I would definitely imagine. And on that note of crazy macro events that have been happening recently, such as COVID, great resignation, economic downturn, would be curious to hear your thoughts about leading through times like that and what you can do as a leader during these crazy times to attract and retain top marketing talent at your organization. Yeah. I've been thinking about this one a lot, both in my role and just some of the, the challenges that we're seeing played out in the world of, of HR as well. There's there's this, it's a, almost a conundrum of how do you keep everyone really focused on high performance while also having really high care and empathy for all the stressors in the world and what everyone is sort of carrying around in their minds 
outside of work because you know the lines between work and and not work are, are blurred um and where i've landed on it is top talents and, and the folks you want to um, retain are typically they want to feel supported they want to have empathetic leaders they want to be able to be their whole self at work and and within reason bring their whole selves to work but they also they're there because it's a job i think and they're motivated by goals and success and achieving the things that they basically signed up for when they signed up for the for the job right and so really keeping keeping a focus on winning together as a team setting the right goals making the whole team feel aligned and like they're all pulling together in the same direction and then really wherever you can celebrating the business success goes a long way to keeping people well, ultimately retaining them, um, but keeping them engaged in the work where, where things start to flounder, I think is where the team can start to feel siloed or you have pockets of high performance and low performance. And it's sort of unclear of, of where's the bar, what are we all kind of doing? You get kind of competitive in fightings, maybe the wrong word in the team, but discontent can start to brew if, if it feels like there isn't sort of one consistent high level of performance and everyone's all pulling their weight and pulling in the same direction. And so that's where leadership, I think, is really important. Establishing the right goals and priorities, having making the work the focus of bringing people together in positive, fun ways, right? Like do little hackathon style activities to brainstorm solutions to the problems you're facing. Really celebrate milestones on your way to a big team campaign launch or big team victory. Um, but keep it keep it rooted in the work and, and high performance. And that's what I've seen just intrinsically motivates your top talent the most. And then combining that with the space for open discussion on how people are feeling and human-centric conversations between managers and employees. And what I mean by that is not just talking about the work, but talking about how things are going outside of work, creating space to laugh and have fun, and just have strong relationships with your colleagues and, and peers. I think that goes a long way as well to keeping people engaged and, and happy and, and retaining the kind of talent you want. I think there's bells and whistles that you can add on, but ultimately that's not really what keeps your top performers, right? Like you can do all the kind of Zoom virtual events you want or send people swag and gifts and gimmicky stuff, but those are sort of quick fixes. They're not what long-term keep people there. The last piece I would say is what I consider the hygiene factors, which are compensation. People need to be feel like they're paid fairly for the role they're doing and for the responsibilities that they're taking on. But that's sort of table stakes. And I think having open transparency in your team to job leveling, job roles and responsibilities, what the salary bands are. So everyone's clear on where they should be today. And if they want more money or want a promotion, super clear on what that looks like and what they need to do to get there. That's just all, I think, good hygiene sort of basics, um, foundational basics to having a high performing team as well that's that's there to stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like so much of this obviously has changed over the last couple of years and something that you mentioned that really resonated with me, and I'm sure with a lot of our listeners as well, is I feel like over the past couple of years, those lines between home and work and being an employee, being a person have been blurred so much that it's become that much more important that managers and teams are you know, showing that they care about you as a person more than just an employee and that you're getting your job done. And I think, you know, you spoke to a lot of that 
around, you know, caring about that individual as an actual person and doing things to show that you do while still celebrating all of the successes and the wins that they're having and the milestones that they're achieving in their work life as well. Mm -hmm. Something else that I've noticed, and it goes back to, I think, what I was saying around get people focused on the work that should just naturally drive intrinsic motivation is um, we all know about the great resignation. People have been quitting jobs in droves. And I think it's really important for where possible for, and so in the B2B SaaS world, for people to really think about what's the subject matter you want to be marketing? What's the role you want? And sign up for work that you want to do. <laughs> and and right now it just so happens that the, um, the talent pool um, is smaller than, more or less than all the available jobs, right? Um, hiring folks is harder than the folks who are looking to get hired right now, it seems, although we'll see how that shifts over the next few months. But I've noticed a lot more focus, thoughtful focus on the folks that I've been interviewing on really picking picking the role that speaks to you personally, not just looking for a job for the sake of looking for a job, but, but being aligned with the company's mission and being really clear on what the role encompasses and basically signing up for work that you want to do. And that's going to just naturally make you happy because it's a good match for your skills, your experience and your personal interests. That also goes a long way. So I guess it's my long way of saying it's more important than ever when you're interviewing or both at a company or when you're the person interviewing talent to really make sure it's the right fit. It all kind of starts there, right? Make sure it's the right fit because everything kind of cascades down from there rather than rushing through hiring processes and not taking the time to really deeply understand the person and make sure that it is professionally, culturally, all the things, the right fit. Yeah, that's that's a really good point because <laughs> I'm sure the last thing that you want to happen both as a leader and as, you know, potentially a new employee is for it to be the wrong fit. That's going to be a lose-lose for everybody. You have a miserable employee for a few months and then you're back at square one once they leave. Um, so it is just that much more important to have that take place in the interview process of, you know, giving clear expectations on the role. And this even goes back to what you were saying earlier um, for some of those interview question tips around asking, you know, where are we in terms of growth versus efficiency, things like that, and getting really detailed about, you know, what the expectations are going to be in the role and from the company as a whole. And would be curious to hear, you know, from your side as a leader and as somebody that's doing the hiring, what are some of the things that you're doing either in the interview process to help, you know, really determine that fit? If you have any, you know, tips or tricks around that, or just when it comes to, you know, attracting that top talent in the first place to even, you know, apply and get interested in that job. If you have any, you know, kind of suggestions or things that you're doing around that as well, would love to hear about it. Yeah. On the attracting part, it's hard. I think a lot of it boils down to what your company has to offer. I don't mean from a benefits perspective, but like, is your company growing? Is it a product or a market or an industry that's on the upswing and people want to be a part of? And unfortunately, there's only so much you can do to control that, but it, it, but it's a real factor. In the interview process, I, I look for a couple of things. One is, is this not just the, the right fit, but the right time for the person and really trying to get them to walk me through their career path to date and where they want to go in the future to understand the the why here why now piece because sometimes the here makes sense or the now makes sense but you need you need both of those to 
to make it be the right natural progression for the person um, in their career. And then I, I actually ask a lot of personal questions in, in the interviews now. This goes back to the blurring of lines between work and home life or you know personal life. Since they're so intertwined, I, I personally, I think it's important to just know a little bit about the person and understand, hey, are we going to like working together and are we going to like Zooming one another? And, you know, who are you outside of work? And because um, that's important, because the more I know about you outside of work, the better I can support you inside of work, I guess. And so I've definitely started building more of that personal connection into the interview process than I than I would have done a few years ago, where it was mainly just focused on questions about skills, experience, the job itself. Now I really try and get a more holistic picture of the person and and share that with them as well, because they're signing up for me as a manager just as much as I'm signing up for them as an employee. So I think that's really important. Um, and then the last piece that I believe a lot in is just putting in the, the work yourself and putting in the hustle yourself as a hiring manager. I, I love our recruiting team. They're fantastic and they help a lot with the operational work, but I think you as the hiring manager really set the tone for the relationship, depending on how much you are open and willing to communicate directly with the candidates and sort of lean in from day one on building that relationship with them versus being kind of standoffish and letting your your hiring team do all of that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. All makes a lot of sense. Really appreciate all of those suggestions, tips, tricks, recommendations. I love hearing about how you interview as a leader as well and just asking them, you know, why here, why now? Because that's a really interesting question, but I'm sure their answers can go a really long way in determining if it's going to be a good fit or not, even if, you know, on their resume could look amazing or could look like they're not a fit. But I'm sure that question and the way people answer it can really go a long way in determining that. Absolutely. It's one of the biggest red flags if they don't have a good answer for the why here or why now. Um, Cause then it means they might be totally qualified, but their heart's not in this specific role at this specific company at this specific time in their career. Right. And especially for a marketing role where, as we talked about earlier, so much of it is telling that story. Um, I think step one about being able to do that well for a company is you should be able to do that well for yourself. Yes, yes, <laughs> so, that is very true. <laughs> um, so I'm sure that can kind of determine the fit level as well. Um, I feel like I never know what to say when people are like, tell me about yourself, though. I always just start on step one, like, well, I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a great starting say. point. Yeah, it's the yeah. beginning of your story. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, really appreciate all those tips and tricks, though. Really great to hear your perspective on it. Um, well, I think that wraps up our main questions. Um, I just have a couple more rapid fire ones for you quickly. Um, so perfect. Um, would be curious to hear if you have any books, blogs, newsletters, websites, videos, anything like that, that you would recommend our listeners check out after the episode? Yeah. Um, there's a book that I read recently that's really helped change my perspective a little bit on being in a high growth company and, and basically what you need to do. Um, it's called Amp It Up. It's by Frank Slootman. I'm totally blanking right now, which he's CEO at Snowflake now, I believe, um, and has a prolific history at high growth companies. But it's it's fantastic and really helped me to energize myself and get really focused on 
what I want to do is I lead a team through a phase of rapid growth. And then the other thing I would say is just the communities that I've joined lately. It really feels like community is the new whatever, the new social media, the new podcast, the new book. I mean, to be fair, actually, I listen to a ton of podcasts too, but the community groups Mm -hmm. that I'm a part of right now are proving so valuable when I just need to pick other marketing leaders' minds on, on anything from, hey, what do you think of this vendor to how have you tackled this problem? And so finding your community, whatever that is, you know, um, I think is, is a really worthwhile investment in any marketer's time. And by your community, I mean, if it's uh, a marketing leadership community, if it's an industry type community, whatever it is, um, I'm a big, big fan of communities right now. Sure. Absolutely. Appreciate the recommendations and definitely with you on the communities. I'm part of a few communities myself and can definitely agree with you there. They can be incredibly helpful. Um, And the name of that book was Amp It Up. Amp It Up. Yeah. Amp It Up. Great. Perfect. Cool. Well, last question. Um, If you could volunteer up or just name some people that you think would be great for us to have on the show and on the podcast who are B2B tech leaders or just folks who lead GTM functions or even data science analytics, would be curious who you would recommend. Yeah, I've got a list. So the first person that I wanted to recommend's name is uh, Brona O'Connor. She, she helped lead and scale demand gen at the previous company I was at, Allocadia, and now she's VP of marketing at uh, Media Valet. And um, she's just such a smart, pragmatic, uh, revenue-oriented marketer. So I think she'd be a great interview. And the next one, and I don't know if he's been on the show before, but um, is Joe Chernov, who's the current CMO at Pendo. Um, I have a lot of respect and admiration for his holistic storytelling and, and brand building leadership and skills. And Pendo is just um, a, a fantastic brand. And I, and I love the innovation that they've shown over the past few years of creating really meaningful um, customer marketing experiences. And then the last one is not someone that I actually know, but hopefully one day I will meet and I just have a lot of respect for as a marketing leader, which is, and I hope I'm going to pronounce his name right, Yudi Lettergore, um, the CMO at Gong. Gong, I think, is another fantastic brand that's that's grown rapidly over the years and done a great job of creating market awareness and market share in a pretty competitive space and just has some unique campaigns and tactics and they always catch my eye with what they're doing so I, i'm assuming a lot of credit goes to to his leadership in making all that happen definitely great Well, thank you for volunteering them up. (laughs) We will definitely be reaching out to them. Hopefully get some episodes going soon. But thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Really enjoyed our conversation. And again, thanks so much for being a part of the show. Thanks for having me, Harry. It was really fun chatting with you. Great. Thanks, Julia. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV.